Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Quinn. <laughs> and this is the Monstrous Woman Podcast. Fortnightly, we take an in-depth look at a woman or feminine monster who has fallen victim to the monstrous woman trope. We discuss the representation in different media, the real-world implications, and what we would change. The idea of this podcast comes from the Monstrous Feminine Theory by Barbara Creed. This theory gives us a lens to look through when considering why femininity is so often painted as monstrous. Before we get started, we want to provide a content warning for this episode. Cersei is a sexual assault survivor and a childhood abuse survivor, and on this episode, we will be discussing her experiences, her trauma, and how she was perceived. Please take care of yourself while listening, and if you're not up for this conversation, we'll see you in the next episode. It's finally here! This week, we're finally jumping into Cersei! (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited to be discussing this figure. It is well documented on the internet that I am a Madeline Miller stan. It's also well documented (laughs) on this podcast because I have tricked Quinn into doing two episodes about her books already. And Cersei is my all-time favorite novel and fictional character, so I'm very, very happy to be here. So Cersei is an iconic sorceress with a long and complicated history, so we are very excited to discuss... Discuss? Excuss? Excuss is not a word. <laughs> I, think this got, I think that was an, a to... combo of explore and discuss. <laughs> yeah, I think so. They're Which is fun. Good, ex- good exploration of my word. <laughs> but we are very excited to be joined by the amazing host from We Accidentally Vaporized, our podcast. Yes, welcome Lachlan and Lauren. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. I got your podcast name right. So, right. yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> That's always a great Which is hilarious you say that because I said it wrong when I guested on Entering Storybrooke. I totally said the wrong version of the name. I said like our Instagram handle names of our actual full podcast name. Oh, that's so. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yep, it's all good. You can figure it out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, welcome. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure. So I I guess I'll go first. Uh, I'm Lauren. Uh, I co-host the We Accidentally Vaporized Our podcast. But we really should figure out how we should like pronounce that name (laughs) when we introduce ourselves. but once I figure out how to, uh, I co-host it with Lachlan. Uh, she, she'll claim that she officially started the podcast, but if you listen to the first episode, I think I talk first. So I think it's all me. <laughs> all right. So I'm Lachlan, the other host. And yes, it was my idea. And if you go through our text, you will see where I said, hey, Lauren, I'm eating mac and cheese right now and I have an idea. <laughs> Do you want to join a podcast with me? So it's great. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much for having us. <laughs> of course. We're glad you guys are here. So, our like in 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 that welcoming spirit, let's do our warm up question. So this week, um, the warm up question is: All right, I'm always excited to read this. Megan comes up with them. So, what is 
your first positive experience with a witch in media? I'm a little mad at my answer because uh, this is a JK Rowling slander podcast, but (laughs) it was Hermione. It was. And I, when I tell you I was Hermione as a child, and I'm not talking like book seven, well-adjusted Hermione. I'm talking the first half of book one before the Halloween party when she did not have friends because she was so annoying and pretentious. I was that child. She was a know-it-all. She was, and so was I. my (laughs) My parents did not raise me to be aware that people did not like when women told them what to do. And, like, I'm so glad that they didn't, obviously. But when I got to, like, sixth grade and everybody was calling me a bitch, I was like, excuse me, I'm a leader. I don't know what you're talking about. So I think, and I, I blame, I blame Franny for a lot of that and thank her for it, but not Jake. Mm. Okay, that's, that's beautiful. Funny. I love that. <laughs> yeah, love mine also goes along those lines. If it's if it's okay for me to jump in here. Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, jump, yeah. Jump so in. mine was also with Harry Potter. So Hermione, because when I was in second grade, I wanted to read Harry Potter because the books were still coming out. My whole family was reading them, like all the adults, like like losing their minds over these books. And I was like, I want to read what my parent, what my mom is reading. They said, oh, no, Lachlan, like, you're not old enough yet. They meant, like, it was too high of a reading level. I thought it meant, oh, it's too adult for me. Whatever, parents. And one day in my second grade classroom, I saw the Sorcerer's Stone on the bookshelf. I was like, I'm going to secretly read this book behind their backs. That was how I was rebellious as a child. Rebel. It's Yep. <laughs> yep. So, yep. So I read the book and then eventually my mom found out because like, I'm not good at hiding things. And she's like, you can just read it. I don't care. I thought it was just too hard for you. <laughs> so yeah, so that was mine. <laughs> and then I was Hermione for Halloween. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think mine also was probably Hermione, either Hermione. And I told when I was, I always forget that it's Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry because the Euro is it Harry is just so ingrained. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably if it wasn't that, it would have been um, Wizards of Wibbly Place. Um, True. Oh yeah. I, just, I don't remember which I read or saw first, to be honest. Yeah. Both are great. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now for mine, and it'll sound like I was born in a different generation. My first experience was probably Wizard of Oz. I come from a town that used to have a thing called the Wizard of Oz Fest. We had a full-on like festival that was like Wizard of Oz. The actual munchkins came to the town like yearly and have a parade. But, um, yeah, so Wizard of Oz, uh, definitely probably my first experience with a witch. But then also a big witch in my life was um, uh, another a woman who an actress who played Cersei in a different role, Bernadette Peters in Into the Woods, the Broadway recording <laughs> that was on like PBS masterpiece whatever. Um, my I don't know I don't know why, but my dad was like, yeah. Little girls like musicals. You can watch a Stephen Sondheim play. That's fine. That's totally fine. You're like five. You're fine. <laughs> like not knowing Act Two, everybody dies. Um, 
actually probably alert. that. He was a... <laughs> yeah, spoiler yeah. alert. The, the play's been out for how long and the movie came out too. Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, the witch in that is just amazing. And honestly, every once in a while I hear my laugh and I'm like, um, I think I might have modeled my laugh after Burnett Peters in that play. Uh, <laughs> um Yeah, and then I actually in Your high school so in high school I was a witch. In a play, in a, the high school play, we had like a, we have like a children's play every year, uh, and I was the witch in the play, and because I could do the voice, <laughs> and <laughs> so, so I I became other I became children's first interaction with witches in real life, <laughs> in high school. It was an amazing. What time. a journey! Blacked my teeth out. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> we're gonna need you to record the rest of the episode in that voice yes please okay, do all right not a problem stay on <laughs> it really wouldn't be a problem i can do it very easily <laughs> i was actually also a witch in the sixth grade we did the wizard of oz and i was the wicked witch and i made a preschooler cry and i feel really proud of that accomplishment <laughs> As Good you should. Job. Yeah. <laughs> that means I was doing my job. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my god. I was terrified of the Wizard of Oz as a kid. Don't know why. Just mm. horrified of it. Oh, the flying monkeys. Was right there. It's easy yeah. there. In the yeah, trees, get you. the apple trees that are evil. Oh my god. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My aunt hates that movie to this day because of the flying monkeys. Okay, Quinn. This week, we, as we mentioned, we're going to be talking about Cersei, and she has quite a history across myths. So will you go ahead and tell us a little bit about her origins? Yeah, so Cersei is the daughter of Helios and Perse. Helios is a titan who is literally the sun, so he's pretty, uh, pretty much a big deal. And his, her mother, Perse, is a sea nymph. Helio, Helios wasn't the most present of father, uh, fathers, being the sun and all, so he was gone during the day. He would only come back during the night and wake everybody up, so that was pleasant. Uh, and, <laughs> and per se, uh, honestly, in the mist, we don't know much about her, but we can hope that she was not terrible. But huh, it's, it's Greek myth, so the hopes aren't that high. So she was the sister of Monsters Woman alum, Pasiphae, and the aunt to Monsters Woman honorable mention, Medea. Circe lives on the island of Aenea, where she practices her sorcery, and she is particularly good at transformation using herbs. So her first transformation was of a hunky fisher boy named Glaucus, who came to her island and was completely oblivious to Circe's love boner for him, uh, because of course he was. Uh, In order to get his attention, she decides to turn him into a god, because yeah, that totally works. So she turns him into a blue fish boy god, and he still does not care about her, uh, because... You, you don't care about someone in the beginning. It's not going to like change once you're a new freaking person. Um, <laughs> so instead, he comes to Cersei and asks for a love potion for his crush, um, a nymph 
whose name might ring some bells, Scylla. So instead, Cersei poisons Scylla's favorite pool and transforms her into the monster we know and love. That six-headed, dog-wasted, cliff-dwelling monster thing. Um, (laughs) So the next uninterested man she fell for (laughs) was the first king of Latinum, this and the son of Saturn, aka Zeus. His name was Tychus. That's a fun name. Uh, Circe attempted to seduce him with her charms and herbs while he was on a hunting trip, but he rejected her because he was in love with the nymph Kenis. Uh, when Picus rejected Circe, she um, rightfully, uh, rightfully so transforms him into a woodpecker. When his comrades accuse Cersei of doing this, which she she was guilty of doing what they accused um, her of, she turned them into a variety of beasts as well. When Canis, the uh, Picus's love, found out what happened to her pecker boy, she wandered through the forest for six days until she lay down on the bank of the Tiber and died. So, cheerful story. Uh, Cersei then stayed on her island, chilling out like she likes. Um, and the idea of, but the idea of turning men into beasts, sort of just like, that stayed with her. She liked that. She liked doing that. That was sort of fun. So, flash forward a little bit. Her niece, Medea, she's all grown up and she's come for a visit. Isn't it so nice? She comes to Cersei's island with her new boy toy, Jason, and Jason's buddies, the Argonauts. And do you think they, and they like stop to have a nice little pit stop and a picnic. Right, yay. Problem is, uh, Medea killed and chopped up her brother in order to get a head start on her dad's pursuing army, and she needed Cersei's help to get back to the gods, into the gods' good graces. So uh, Cersei helped because she's a good aunt. Um, but she wasn't too happy about it and basically just like kicked them out again. Go away, be, be bad people other places, but I will help the gods not be immediately on your back. So, hurrah. Goodbye to Medea. Hello, Odysseus. Wow, she just can't get a break. So- <laughs> She really Megan, can. do you want to talk about so, Odysseus? <laughs> I would love to. So Odysseus, obviously we have his story in the Odyssey, which is one of Homer's two seminal works. And so this is probably the part of Circe's story that is the most popular, even though she does play a relatively small role in it. So the hero Odysseus, hero in quotations, ends up on Aiaia and Circe transforms his men into pigs. Odysseus then seduces Circe by overpowering her with the help of Hermes and some of the very herbs that Circe herself uses, and she ends up restoring his men to their human form. Circe then hosts these men on her island for a whole year, or more depending on the myth. Um, Some have her getting pregnant a few times. It kind of just depends. She may have had some children. She may not have had some children. The only important one was Telegonus. Um, Circe also helped facilitate a prophecy of Odysseus and prepared him for both his trip to the underworld and his journey between Scylla and Charybdis, which we mentioned on a previous episode. Of course, Od- Odysseus's dumbass did not listen to her. 
Otherwise, he would have gotten through Scylla and Charybdis without losing the rest of his crew, but whatever. That was a different episode. Um, Odysseus ended up stopping by Aiaia one final time to bury a crew member who died by sleeping on a roof and falling off. Um, because Cersei was like, you can't just leave his body. Like, he needs the funeral rites. The gods are obviously going to be mad. Like, you've got to be a pious man. Very important in Greek mythology. Um, yeah. So that's basically the summary of her experiences with Odysseus. Or was it? Because that's when the baby boy comes back into play. <laughs> so, <laughs> Telly Guinness, when he grows up, he's like, who's my father, mama? And Cersei's like, well, your father is this man, Odysseus, who lives on this island, Ithaca, who has a wife named Penelope and a different son, son named Telemachus, just like your name, Telegonus. But like, isn't it so great? <laughs> and Telegonus... Telegonus decides, I want to go meet this father of mine I've never met. So Cersei's like, all right, before you go, here's this magical spear that will keep you safe. It's poisoned at the tip, so be careful. So off Telegonus goes to go to Ithaca. And <laughs> but he lands on an island. He gets to Ithaca, but he thinks it's Corsica. Oh, my God. Why? And he's so he starts to plunder what he thinks is Corsica. But of course, it's Ithaca. And then Odysseus comes to stop him from plundering. And because he's stopping Telegonus, Telegonus defends himself and kills Odysseus with the poison spear given to him by his mother. Oh, no. What a tragedy. It's almost like it's a Greek tragedy. So awkward. And then, <laughs> and then because Telemachus was actually witnessed Telegonus killing Odysseus, and then afterwards they like explain each other and they're like, brother, brother, I love you. And my dad might have been an asshole anyway, so thank you. Um, they basically run off together. We almost have the same name. <laughs> <laughs> Twinsies. <laughs> but, did they plan that, but, or was uh, that like, was it? Like, did Cersei know the original son's name and was like? And Odysseus' whole shtick was how much he talked about his wife and child. So I think it would be very, very unlikely that Cersei didn't know. And I think Cersei was basically like, "Oh, I'll do this play on words." Well, mm. wasn't it his unborn yeah. child when he left? So. Did they already name the kid? He yeah, was yeah. born. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was like, he was just a baby, though. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> brings Telemachus and Penelope back home to Cersei's island. And Telemachus and Cersei end up together. And Telegonus and Penelope end up together. I'm not... Huh, that relationship that'll have a huge age gap um well either way Cersei's immortal that's the giant age gaps for all um yeah <laughs> so we get oh some nice mother-son action going on and uh yeah hurrah for Cersei she finally gets a happy ending with Telemachus who overall in the myths is a pretty nice guy <laughs> yeah 
This is so messy. <laughs> like, what a real girl boss moment for her. I know Cersei's right? such a girl boss. Mm-hmm. I love her. She's for like, it. ooh, my son brought a friend home, and he's sort of my son. I like him. <laughs> is it my former lover's biological child? Yes. Is that going to stop me? No. They're all just—they're all very much like their father, apparently. A little too much like their father. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Too true. <laughs> so, do you want to start talking about this character in depth? <laughs> Yes, there's a lot to unpack. Um, so let's just let's just dive in. Let's let's talk a little bit about the narrative that Odysseus outsmarted or overpowered Cersei. That's that's paramount in the Odyssey, and I think it's bullshit. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So I was reading a little bit of the Odyssey while I had some free time earlier today. Um, and I was just so take not taken is the word upset, appalled. Let's go with appalled. By the way, it described the interaction between Odysseus and Circe, where like he tries to act like he's about to kill her so that she'll be freaked out and want to like change his men back. It says that she like falls to the ground, grabs his knees, and is like, "Please don't kill me! Like I'm so sorry." no man has ever like bested me before and it's like girl like get off the ground you're a witch like seriously you're gonna grovel at this man's feet like that just it just feels like not what actually happened but when a guy comes back and is like bragging to all of his bros about what happened it's like yeah this girl was like so hot like threw herself at my feet like (laughs) you know it just gave off those vibes and like immediately she was like oh let me take you to my bed like what no (laughs) no i don't support it this is gonna sound weird but in a way i'm always kind of like disappointed in cersei because like it's not like odysseus does anything special i feel like he's just the first man to not be stupid and i feel like i'm a little like how does she not think have like a plan b in this situation um Mm -hmm. but also like because he was he didn't have to do a lot i can see how she was sort of lulled into like oh everyone will just automatically turn into a pig because they're all idiots yeah it's not that he wasn't stupid it's that he had divine intervention through hermes when no one else did so it was literally nothing he did by himself hermes just picked him instead of any literally anyone else yeah Yeah. he just caught her off guard (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly i like your point lachlan that it's very like male fantasy-esque And I think Mm -hmm. that's why it does rub you the wrong way. Like, it wasn't like they had this actual battle of wits. Odysseus is supposed to be incredibly smart. He's supposed to be a hero because of his mind and not his strength. So I could see a better version of... Okay, not me critiquing Homer's writing, but that's what I've been doing this whole time. Um, Where Homer expands on that a little bit more. Because if you look in context, um, Odysseus was backed by Hermes. Obviously impressive, and Hermes is super smart. Um... And, like, tricky, obviously. But she is older than Hermes. She has been around for longer. And she has been dealing with a more difficult class of deities than Hermes. The Olympians are the softer, newer, younger generation. The Titans are way more intense, way older, way more ancient, way more um, Brutal. primordial. And Circe grew up with the sun being her father. <laughs> You're going to tell me that Odysseus outsmarted that woman easily? 
Like, that's just untrue. I can't accept that as fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, you can't really call it outsmarting because Percy Jackson does the exact same thing. And you can never say <laughs> something that he does is like an outsmart move. Uh, um, <laughs> true. I mean, oh. Chase, Annabeth Chase did the same thing, so we could call it an outsmart move. <laughs> yeah. there Percy go. was lucky Annabeth. that Annabeth was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess Odysseus was lucky that Hermes was there, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, no, I feel like it it could have worked <laughs> if it was more of like, sure, he gets past her initially. And then maybe he, like, hangs out for a bit. And then they have more, like, intellectual conversations or whatever. And she's like, all right, you seem pretty decent. I'll let the rest of your crew go. But just her, like, throwing herself at his feet and, like, begging for her life. I just cannot get on board with that at all. I think mm-hmm. it's, like, it reminds me of, I can't think of a specific scene. But I feel, I can see it just being in, like, five million types of media. But, like, the scene where the girl is like, oh, she's so clever, and she's outsmarting all these people, and then the guy comes in and just pulls a gun on her, and is like, no, you gotta do what I, I tell ya, and because, oh, I find, I have to listen to you, and then uh, by the end of the movie, she's in love with him. And I feel like that's the, that's the Cersei story with Odysseus. He comes in with a knife, and he's just like, nope, you can't transform me in a, into a pig, and she's just like, oh, a knife. I love you. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like that. And I feel like maybe if it's like, all right, knife comes out and she submits initially and then later sort of turns on him because like, all right, I'm going to show weakness because, oh, you're so brave, man. And then as soon as you take put that knife down, I'm picking it up and slitting your throat. Sorry, you threatened me. Like... <laughs> Like, yeah, I'd be I, here for that. It's it's like the world's but worst I, and I feel quickest like it's enemies to lovers. One part. Of the story. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Also, like, I feel like am I when Cersei's portrayed she's as a villain, she's why is she scared being? of a knife? True. Very. Yeah, I brilliant. agree, Quinn. Like it's. Yeah, no. Hermes just gave him oh. the god-killing knife. Yeah, it, that's also a point. Maybe she's just like clarify i mean just because you're immortal doesn't mean you can't be like chopped into little pieces like so that could be it but you'd think she'd be able to fight it would definitely be inconvenient but it wouldn't be like life-threatening you know like we know that they punish immortals in like really painful ways like prometheus has his liver ripped out every day but um what is cersei that afraid of that he's really gonna commit to chopping up every single day (laughs) He's not. And honestly, it'd be a blink of an eye to her. He's gonna die. He's mortal. True. But going back to your original point, the original point about, like, she's immortal, she it doesn't matter. Like, I can picture how this scene would exactly play out if uh, she was a man instead. You know, the gun, the knife would get pulled out, and they would go, haha, what's that gonna do? I can't die. And then they'd come, <laughs> run up, and they'd start punching each other. They'd get stabbed a couple times. They'd just pull it out. Like, if he, if mm-hmm. Cersei was a man, that would be a very different scene. Mm. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah she definitely would not be on her knees at any point no 
never get it always just shocks me when cersei is portrayed as the villain because i don't see her really as an active villain in any of the stories that she's in she does bad things but it's not like i don't like she doesn't do them for do the these things for no purpose and then also i like we'll get into it but i feel like she really grows throughout the myths which we don't see very often yeah um which is just like really cool you get a character development through myth um but yeah it by the end i wouldn't say that she's a villain but then in modern depictions she's nearly always the bad guy yeah definitely i think even like with um Scylla and like transforming her like yeah she could have gone after glaucus and instead probably should have however like once she realized the full magnitude of like what she had done like she did feel remorse for it she no longer felt justified in her choice and did try to figure out a way to stop it even if she like i don't think she was successful but she like tried and like did feel really bad essentially which like if she was just a straight villain she wouldn't feel remorse for her actions yeah and that, mm-hmm. that's another point of like she should have gone after uh glaucus over glaucus glaucus over Scylla. um and you can tell where that was written by a man where she's attacking the woman in that situation instead of the root of the problem which was glaucus um yeah and also i mean part of the reason that cersei could keep popping up as a villain is because like there aren't aside from villains there aren't a lot of female representation i feel like in greek mythology and people are like we need representation and they're like oh well if we look at the original myth we can take this villain you know yeah yep Mm -hmm. yeah yeah though i feel like um between a new thought i had between scylla and glaucus there could also just be that power differential of who she can go after because like yes she's the daughter of helios but like helios does not care about her at all like she is like the dirt beneath his feet essentially and so like if you look at Scylla, who is a very low level nymph compared to glaucus who's now been made like a minor god like it will probably be worse for her to try to go after glaucus because he's a man he's a minor god versus Scylla, who is just a nymph you know so as far as like who she could target mm. there might be yeah. that that aspect as well but yeah i think that probably is a big part of her thought process even though that doesn't yeah. make it right, right. but i think Definitely. that's why we also see yeah, yeah yeah i think that's why we see um other goddesses doing that like hera always takes out what zeus does on the women that he abuses because she can't take it out on zeus she shouldn't do that obviously <laughs> but it's the hierarchy that they were living in and they just were like i'm going to ex- i have no control i'm going to exert control and power in some way and it's unfortunately mm-hmm. going to be on you yeah. the bully but becomes the bully it was also painted as like Hera coming after the woman because she wanted to go after the woman. And that's the thing like Scylla, not Scylla, uh, Cersei could have had that thought process of, I can't go after, uh, I, I already forgot his name. Um, Glaucus. Glaucus. He, she could have had that thought process, but she also, yeah, that wasn't portrayed anywhere. It was portrayed as her being jealous right. and petty and a woman. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we have no inner thoughts about Cersei at all in any of the myths. None of it ever yeah. gives any sort of context. It's all, you have to read into it being like, okay, I know that this man, what he wrote, does not make sense. <laughs> so let's all sit around and try and make sense of it. Yeah, it's also interesting rereading the Odyssey because I first read it back in sixth grade, so clearly had a great understanding of it back then. Um, it just, it feels so rushed and like and like you can almost tell that it is a written version of an oral history because it seems yeah. like it jumps around it's like very vague in some parts and it's like this is all happening super super fast and so you don't get details or like character background things like in the way that like novels and other things are written like you can definitely tell this has been sort of like pieced together this is why i remember i'm going to write it down as i remember it really really super fast you know the fire's about to go out so uh homer's gotta finish the story <laughs> <laughs> we gotta wrap this up people <laughs> so Cersei was the first witch in western literature she's who introduced that concept into our canon being in the west and so therefore like this cultural zeitgeist um, I just think that that was a really interesting decision on Homer's part to just sort of like drop that in there and it, it definitely had impacts like way larger than his he was anticipating um, but what are you guys' thoughts on just, like, witches and, like, that being introduced? I didn't realize that Cersei was, like, one of, like, the first witches. I, that really impresses yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, she's such a trendsetter. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like the um, idea of witches, obviously, is across, like, so many different cultures and so many iterations and mm -hmm. feels ancient as a concept but i never thought about it as being like that type of ancient is like being like greek myth ancient you know um yeah yeah so i just think that's very interesting um yeah i was basically gonna say what you said like i didn't realize that she was a witch i think it's interesting that she because like witches have then had this sort of like bad name put to them because ooh, you're an evil witch or like the wicked witch of the west and cersei could sort of be number one like uh victim number one of that stereotype because you look at the myths she's not the evil witch she has some of these like okay she does some bad things but she's not out and out evil but through time she's been portrayed as this evil witch so then it's really interesting to see that she was one of the first witches and that yeah it, it's just always been <laughs> you don't have to mm -hmm. be a bad witch to be a bad witch i think it's so interesting when you compare the use and connotations around the word which like think about like even like the witch trials that happened across the world and everything else but then you think about the word wizard and that's always this like magical fantastical like cool idea you don't really think about like bad wizards necessarily that's not where your mind immediately goes but with witch oh, you're more often to go towards a negative well sure <laughs> but but with witch your mind automatically goes towards the negative more often than not whereas with wizard it's more positive than not even though those are supposed to be like sort of like the two binary gender spectrums of the use of those words you know yeah yeah women have to be <laughs> have power. just as general rule um it's lauren what were you oh, saying so i i never knew that realized that cersei was a witch until i started like doing the research for this um and that's also partial because like 
I didn't know that like one of the connotations and meanings of witchcraft was like using plants and stuff. I always just assumed mm-hmm. that the witch's power came from the witch themselves. Um, and I thought like mm-hmm. using plants and stuff was more like alchemy based and like the idea of anyone can do that. Um, so I was a little confused. I was a little too stuck in my Dungeons and Dragons mentality there. Um, so I was a little confused there, but I do. It's one of those, like, it's always interesting because witches are always women, um, but wizards can be either one, but we always just assume they're going to be men, um, which uh, we all t- touch on there. Mm-hmm. I should yeah. say there was it a is, witch, a male witch that was killed at the Salem witch trials. He was considered a witch. Oh, we got one. <laughs> I mean, we got one. There were there were five men total murdered in Salem, I believe. Five. Okay. Even so, like, yeah. And a dog. <laughs> See, they didn't oh, cover that in the crucible. And a dog. <laughs> no. The crucible kills me, and this is a tangent, but the crucible kills me because this man said, Oh my god, a bunch of women got murdered. You know what? I think I could map that on to my own experience. Let me write a book. <laughs> Yeah. Like, screw that wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah. I like, we read that the in Crucible as a play to... should not be read like to study the Salem witch trials. It should be studied or read to study McCarthyism. Like there is n- no ignore the witch trial. We're talking about McCarthy. Like <laughs> I read yeah. it in English class, and it wasn't. I don't think it was to teach the witch trials, but like unintentionally, we're all like, "Cool, this really happened." But I, it's just yeah. like, I don't, we had to watch the movie and mm-hmm. like everything I know from the Salem Witch Trials comes from that. And I think like one episode of Bones. So like, I really know nothing when I think about it. Mm. Well, uh, read my book coming out in 2023. Yes. It's also historical fiction, but it will cover the Salem Witch Trials. Just going to plug myself real quick. We love that. Okay, does anyone have any more thoughts on being a witch? <laughs> I this recommend. Is, this is totally off track. <laughs> 10 out of 10. This is totally off track. But I think another reason that we think witch is so bad is because it rhymes with bitch. And word association just comes out there. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I think that's super true. And especially because as a culture, we don't um, accept bitch as being a slur the way that it should like it functions as a slur because it oppresses a specific marginalized group. That's what that means. But men want to say it. So they just act like it's not a slur. Um, and I think when men don't want to say you're a bitch, they'll just say you're a yes. witch. Um, and it has the same connotation. And I think that's really true. And it would either way, because like they needed a powerful female villain. So they, so Homer invented a witch but he couldn't do that without making her awful and a villain and um, making her a bitch. Have to fall at the feet of a man. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, and also making yeah. her a bitch. And I know for a fact, like, I've been called, like, instead of being called, like, bitchy at times, like, oh, you're being a little, like, witchy and, like, that kind of stuff. And it's always, like, it's like, I know what yeah. you're trying to say here. And even though, like, you can claim that, like, people are trying to take back the na- the calling someone, like, a bitch and be like, yeah, you go, bitch, or something like that. That doesn't change that when it doesn't matter if I use it in a positive way with my friends, when someone else uses it in a negative way, that just tears down everything we've been doing. But yeah, the two of them rhyme. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. 
And like, yeah, I think when when a marginalized group decides to reclaim something that should never be taken as permission for the former or current oppressor to start using mm-hmm. it. Exactly. But of course, it's very hard to get oppressive groups to realize those nuances. But that's, you know, a different podcast. <laughs> podcast for another day. Yeah, so how do we like Cersei turning men into pigs and beasts? And what do we think about the beasts yeah. versus pigs? Like, sometimes she's turning people, pe- men into just general animal beasts. So it's like you could be a lion or a tiger or a hen. Um, or in the cases of, case of Odysseus, Odysseus's men, when they are gorging themselves at her food, uh, she turns them into pigs. Yeah, so I just have a quick clarifying question with this. So no, like, reading Circe by Madeline Miller, it's heavily discussed how she turns them into pigs because they were all, like, getting ready to, like, rape her, potentially try to kill her, like, all this stuff. So she, it, the first time it happened was, like, a defensive move. Is that implied at all with the Odyssey? Or is it just, they showed up, let me turn them into pigs now, because why not? Um, so there's two really important pieces of cultural information for this yes. discussion. Number one, in ancient Greece, they did not have the connotation of men being pigs, as in men are gross. Pigs were actually an animal specifically associated with goddesses. So when Circe turned men into pigs, she was turning them into the animals that would be sacrificed for her glory. Um, so she was making her own sacrifices and her own worshippers. She was not making a, like, tongue-in-cheek comment on men's behavior. It just comes across that way now. And it's like a cool double meaning that, again, Homer did not anticipate. <laughs> but um, to more directly answer your question... In the Odyssey, it's very much, this crazy bitch turned my men into pigs and now I have to outsmart her. But as women reading it, and thanks to Madeline Miller, we were all like, okay, that's obviously not the whole story. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what would really happen to a woman living alone on an island being approached by hordes of men. Yep. Self-defense. Yeah, so if we're going with the reading into it, this is obviously how women were treated in this time period, what definitely would have happened. I'm in full support. Real girl boss moment. You know, she's <laughs> taking too. care of business. Yeah, like self-defense. It's her against a group of like 20 men. And like, yes, she's a goddess, but as we already explained, like she can feel pain. Very bad things can still happen to her. So I fully support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and at this time in the Odyssey, the Odysseus's men have already proven to be dumbasses and pretty dangerous. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's sort of like, oh, oh well, too bad. And honestly, I don't think Odysseus cares all that much until he realizes that, oh, I can't leave without my men. I guess I have to save them. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he keeps putting them in danger throughout the entire Odyssey. It's not as if he's doing it out of some benevolent way. Don't like a bunch it's of them. Not die as if also. any of them. I don't. I and, yeah, in the end, it's just yeah. him. Yeah, it is only no, just I, him. Maybe one yeah. makes yeah. it. Yeah. What about their I, washed up because, on an abandoned shore? <laughs> yeah. 
Odysseus doesn't care about their wives or families. He only yeah. cares about himself. Mm-mm. And I will say, I don't even believe he cares about his wife or child. I think that that's just a very good, um, like, manipulation yep. tactic to get people to like you, to be like, oh, my God, have I told you how special I made my wife's wedding bed? Like, it's so cute. Let me drop this story again. He's, like, trying to say with the classic the nice guy. House. Fake. I think yeah. he just liked the house. And honestly, he's just that bragging bed about his was car. a lot of work. <laughs> And he's just like, I, I like that bed. I'm going to live the rest of my life in that bed. Gotta bring it up. Yeah. yeah. Also, I feel like Odysseus always, like, he's the captain. He should be the one, like, leading his men. But he always sends other people out first ahead of them, him to get killed. Like, the I number mean, of men he's yeah, lost yeah. because he wasn't willing to face the danger first. It's like. I mean, you could say that that's. Odysseus is a survivor. But you could say that maybe oh, good leadership. I mean, what would have happened to all of them if he had died? They would have. <laughs> they all died anyway. <laughs> maybe one of them could have stepped think... up and done a better job. Which one? The dude who Odysseus opened the bag? Even... Who let all the winds out? <laughs> <laughs> or the one who slept on the Yeah, fell <laughs> Um. <laughs> Odysseus didn't even go to Troy willingly. They had to... He pretended when they came to get him and say like, yeah, yeah. He was pretending to be mad, like as an insane, so that they wouldn't want him there. And then they were like, okay. And they he was um like plowing a field naked and pretending that he was insane. And so they set the baby down in front of his plow and were like, if you're really crazy, you'll run over your baby because you won't notice. And he had to stop to save his child's life. And he was like, fine, I'll go fight. The original Cash Twenty Two. So. (laughs) he's he's like he's more a survivalist than anything i think and so that's why he's like i've got these bodies basically around me so i'll just throw them out in front whenever something seems dangerous Mm -hmm. definitely so do we want to talk so like i had never heard the myth of cersei turning that guy into a woodpecker before and honestly i think it's my favorite of the cersei (laughs) myths <laughs> it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I, did, um, it's like Cersei everybody has guy? like a want. Yes. Sorry, what? Did, yeah. did Cersei get to decide the animals? Um, was she just like really like you know what you should be a woodpecker, or was it just like we're in the woods? I'm looking at woods. Ah, something's a woodpecker. Like, well, I, like from what I, I read, he did have some kind of an attachment with a woodpecker. Um, some myths said that he, like, had a woodpecker friend that would help him hunt. Um, but I, like I don't really like, know. I feel like that's almost nice. Is this man actually Snow White? I know, right? <laughs> I feel like that's almost nice then to turn him into a woodpecker. Because then him and his friend can, like, hang out and peck wood together. <laughs> like, if she was really mean, she could have turned him into, like, something that a woodpecker eats. So that way his friend could eat him. So, like, it could have oh. been worse. <laughs> now he's That's like true. the woodpecker in Fox That's really true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I do. I did really enjoy that myth. I'm glad that you found that one, Quinn, because I think you, I think her turning people into pigs is sort of iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and as she should. But I think it's fun to know that she chose other animals for different circumstances. Yeah. You know, she didn't stick to one thing. Mm-hmm. She branched out. She was competent across all animal transformation magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. She's um, a woman of many talents. 
I yeah. did not And know. I feel like the worst thing that happens in that myth, I don't know if you would be able to say, like, you can't directly say is Cersei's, well, you, it is Cersei's fault, but, like, it, it's it's not like she, she pushed, uh, what's her name, to go wander the woods for six days. That was sort of an act of grief. Um, so then it comes to our, our, the per- are murderers why why this is a big question are murderers guilty of murdering someone who dies later of grief (laughs) (laughs) i mean that seems like something we can answer today yeah (laughs) i mean because like without their actions the person wouldn't be grieving and then would not die of their grief yeah i think it depends on intent Mm -hmm. um I, don't, I, I watch too many like crime drama shows and there are so many where it's like now you get to feel how I feel after I've murdered your child like so like in that sense they would be guilty but in like I didn't realize you loved your wife that much sorry but, you know in that sense it might not be as guilty. oh my god oh. I didn't know you liked this guy before I turned him into a woodpecker that's my bad exactly. my, my B <laughs> Oh, uh, but you had said the thing about um, how traditionally they would sacrifice pigs to goddesses. I did not realize that was a thing. And that has, that definitely for me has a different meaning, spins a different meaning to her turning the men into pigs. Um, Because yes, they were probably there for nefarious reasons. But if they weren't, then she's basically just like, ooh, extra power. And she can turn them, sacrifice them and gain I don't know if gods get actual power from it, but she can gain something from it. And I feel like that, to me, has the most negative villainistic tendencies to it. That idea for me. Yeah, that's true. I think it does add to Homer's interpretation of her. Well, I guess it's not an interpretation of the one who wrote it, but (laughs) Homer's original iteration of her in saying like she's the villainous essentially because she's being selfish by turning them into pigs like she's taking quote-unquote good men from odysseus who's also supposed to be a quote-unquote good man to be selfish and to have more sacrifices for herself and more animals that like add to her prowess or whatever because gods are seeking worship and followers more than anything Uh, and if there's anything women are not allowed to do is be selfish or take up space especially if it it's going to impede on a man's space. So that's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, you could also paint it as, like, they were there for nefarious reasons. She had to turn them regardless. She might as well gain something from it, especially when she would probably be the only person who would sacrifice to her. Like, she has no one out in the world who would be like, right. hey, you know who needs this? Cersei. So, like, she needs that power. And if they're going to be there and if they're going to... Uh, plunder and steal and possibly rape and kill her this is a fitting punishment mm-hmm. i agree yeah yeah i don't think it's like far-fetched to assume that she was protecting herself as much as anything yeah. else and what do you guys think about how the pigs retain their human brain and memory so they're not just pigs they are men's souls and minds trapped in the body of pigs yeah, it that's really something that is out. not clarified. <laughs> <laughs> it's creepy. It's not really clarified, like, in the myths. Because, so, gods turn 
people and animals all the time. It's not just Cersei. Like, Dionysus turns men into dolphins when they try to sell him into slavery. On and on. Um, and in the myths, it's not clarified, but current writers are very into the concept of whether or not they retain their human mind. And I I think it's really interesting. And, like, it, it makes what she did to Scylla a lot more cruel. Mm-hmm. If Scylla retained her full personhood while being a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we've talked about in past episodes, mm-hmm. too. So I think I think it's a very Greek thing to have that kind of, like, torturous, tragic ending. And I think it's fascinating. Yeah. It's also really fucked up, but, I know, both. This Honestly, is a little out of track. all the animals that could be, like, cognizant and, like, spe- like, oh, I'm aware of what I am in the food chain pigs are the worst ones for me i don't want the pigs to know what's going on babe is a horror movie like what as a baby he realizes that he's gonna be bacon like like this these men who were turned into pigs if they if if they keep their men brains they're like great now i'm delicious like it would be be terrible (laughs) <laughs> yeah no i i like the interpretation what were you saying Lauren? oh yeah I, I like the interpretation um I, I read this in another book where there was a uh character who like willingly turned themselves into an animal and they had to keep reminding themselves they were human while they were in that form and then they had to turn back and i just love that interpretation of like the longer you stay in it the more you become animalistic the more your brain and your mentality in your mind conforms so i really love that interpretation and i kind of hope that's the interpretation for these guys um just because like i mean odds on if they've eaten uh pig or not probably makes this experience a lot worse (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is really interesting too was it the king chronicles because i know that that's okay yeah that's how they do it in the king chronicles and i think it's super interesting i didn't know if you wanted me to mention the king chronicles so i'm like "Ah, i will mention the name yeah oh like how oh wait no i was just gonna say we talk about rick a lot so you're good yeah and i was gonna say it's like how when percy gets turned back into a human from a guinea pig he like still has this desire for like celery and lettuce (laughs) he's like and that timid that timid cowardly part of the guinea pig is still inside me i'm still a guinea pig deep down Oh my god. Or was he a guinea pig all along? Uh, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> There's probably a fanfic of that somewhere. Uh, this guinea pig <laughs> turned into a real boy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're sort of transitioning to the Percy Jackson <laughs> part of the episode. Do you guys just want to dive You're in? You're welcome for the transition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. yeah. So, okay. as we've said in this episode and in previous episodes, uh, this podcast stands Rick Riordan. He is Uncle Rick. <laughs> yes, Uncle Rick is near and dear to both our hearts and this podcast. But that being said, um, 
our Uncle Rick has a, a literary weakness, and it is oversimplifying and underutilizing the women of Greek mythology. Yes. Um, as, as hard as he tries, sometimes he misses the mark, and Circe definitely falls into this category. Uh, Quinn, do you want to give us a breakdown of how she's used in the books? Yeah, so Cersei appears in Chapter 12 of The Sea of Monsters, which uh, makes sense because this book is modeled after Odysseus. Uh, Annabeth and Percy are on, like, really down on their luck, and they have steered uh, a stolen ship into a very enticing harbor. And it turns out they have landed at Cece's Spa and Resort. Ooh, fancy. And they are hungry and they are tired and they are not thinking straight. So they fully embrace the spot, the, the, they embrace the staff of the spa with open arms. Uh, Annabeth is carted off for a makeover while Percy is offered help cleaning up by Cece herself because he needs a full-on makeover. It doesn't take long for Percy to discover that Cece is actually Cersei, but unfortunately not before he is transformed into a <gasps> guinea pig. Uh, yeah, so uh, in the Riordan verse, uh, Cersei has sort of downsized her business form and she is now rather than turning men into pigs and just general beasts she is turning them into small rodents of normal size uh <laughs> guinea pigs <laughs> and th but thankfully annabeth is able to outsmart cersei and get her friend back by uh giving him some preteen boy vitamins uh, and they escape the spa together and uh, release Blackbeard's pirates on Cersei's island. So, hurrah. Those Flintstone gummies save lives. <laughs> really Love a good Flintstone gummy. <laughs> so Cersei's always an interesting character, no matter what the interpretation, but we're going to attempt to kind of parse this out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, starting off with the thing that we always say, why is Cersei a villain? Mm -hmm. I personally don't see what she's doing here as villainous. Um, she's a business Turning woman. a 12-year-old boy into a guinea pig, not great. Mostly absolutely attacking his self-esteem. <laughs> that was a little mm -hmm. rough. But let's take the long view of what this operation is. She is bringing in young women who, because we have the context of Son of Neptune, we know are disenfranchised young women of all different cultures, including animals. And she's letting them study. She's bringing out their best selves. She's passing on her knowledge as a witch. Like, I don't want to go to Camp Half-Blood. Chiron does not seem like he should be responsible for children. <laughs> I want to go stay with Cersei. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she is actively yeah. helping people and... That's that's honestly my main problem with what Percy and Annabeth do is the very end when they release the um, uh, pirates and then take the pirate ship, leaving the pirates to just attack. Especially because most of these young women there, um, as explained in uh, Son of Neptune, they struggled a lot with that because they were just either just beginning their studies or hadn't really learned like combat magic. So they really just put them in a terrible situation. And sure, what Cersei did was bad. Um, 
but they could have done it a lot differently. Like if Annabeth had only given Percy a, thit, uh, a gummy, they could have gotten out of there and they could have left it in peace. Also, Cersei was doing something very nice. She was donating um, the guinea pigs to classroom to uh, to <laughs> kindergarten classroom uh, and providing them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what better way to eliminate the issue of dangerous men like Blackbeard? Yeah. Percy is the only innocent. He's not a man. He's a boy. Yeah, he's the only innocent we know that she attacks in this universe. That's not a bad track record. Like I'm still comfortable supporting. And especially like Annabeth when she when Annabeth came in, Annabeth came in guns a blazing. She did not try to like talk with Cersei to be like, hey, like my friend's a boy. He ain't bad. Can I just have this one? Yeah, back? like yeah. we'll get out of your hair. I'm sorry that Odysseus was a dick, but like we're cool and we just want to go save our friend before he gets married. So like Annabeth also just no chance to have a discussion there and i think they should have tried that Mm -mm. yeah yeah i feel like my problem with the way she was portrayed in this is that like yes we as like adults who have more context and everything else and can see deeper into these books are aware that pirates are bad that blackbeard was bad you know like bad things happen when pirates are around women we know this but from like a ya book from like this book's perspective like they're just pirates in the fun cool like Pirates of the Caribbean way. They're not mm-hmm. villainous, like murdering, pillaging pirates. They're just fun pirates. And then, so she comes off as much of like a man hater for no reason in this book, if you don't add in your own context and understanding. Because it's sort of like when I read it as a kid, it was like, wow, she's like kind of just hating on these dudes. Like, what's up with that? But then, like, when we were doing the reread for our own podcast, I think I brought it up a little bit of just like, thinking about what happens on that island for Santa Beth leave and those pirates are there and what most likely happened to all of those women is pretty horrifying. But when you're like a 12 year old reading this book, like you don't have that context. She's just hating on any man who shows up. Especially because like Percy and Annabeth focus so much on Cersei herself instead of like everyone that works there and everyone that lives there. And I mean, they take the only ship. The only thing they leave behind is like airplanes and like a helicopter and like there is no way that blackbeard and them can get off and they blackbeard and them were chasing percy and annabeth because they wanted to get on the ship and leave they were not gonna stay if percy and annabeth didn't take their ship which is another thing that is less cersei focused but just i wanted to point out i think it's important to kind of note that I don't think Rick was writing it with good intentions and I don't mean that like negatively on him I think he was writing a villain story and he did not think about the implications because as a man he had not reached a point in his journey where he bothered to (laughs) and I think that's why instead of Neptune he decides to complicate things but this is 2006 Rick this is not Magnus Chase or Trials of Apollo or even Heroes of Olympus Rick we did not get nuance or context at this point in time with him And so he was literally okay with just being like, what do kids love? Pirates? Yeah, we can release those on a bunch of women and girls. Oh, I need her to be a villain? Okay, well, obviously women are manipulative, so let's just make her tear apart children's Mm self-esteem. It's cool. And, I mean, in his defense, he was also writing Percy's story. Like, it's not like he was setting out to write Cersei's story or any of the stories of, like, uh, 
Raina or Helena or any of the women who were there, but he was writing Percy's story. And unfortunately for Cersei, this is how she comes across in Odysseus' story, which turns into Percy's story for Rick's purposes. Yeah. I think he was just definitely taking everything at face value, including the mist that he was drawing from, and, like, sanitizing them for kids in weird ways. And he's come really far in, like, realizing what that means, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. Let's talk about Rick's. (laughs) I will give him that it is hard to sanitize these myths in a way that makes sense for kids, just because like they are gory, they are awful. Like when you look at like the true like original like Greek myths, like they are intense stuff. And so trying to figure out a way to write it for children in a way that makes sense is a challenge. So like, I'll give him a little bit for that, (laughs) but yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about that mm-hmm. quite a bit in past episodes um, and how, like, it just, it is interesting. And this is not, like, Rick-specific. This is cultural, where kids are introduced to very violent concepts in fantasy. Um, like, Quinn made a really good point where, like, Percy murders that one guy in the very first book. His name... His nickname's Krusty, but I don't remember what the yep. full thing oh. is because he literally like stretches him to yep. death. He cut from his head. And, and like that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> stretching <Yeah>. job. <laughs> that's okay for children to consume. But Rick was like, "Oh, but we gotta pretend that Medusa and Poseidon were girlfriend and boyfriend because like we can't talk about consent to children." Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's a huge in two thousand and five. That was very much the norm. Like we were allowed to read Hunger Games, but we were not allowed to talk about consent. And it's it's cool how far he's come and how far cultures come and being like, mm, if we can tackle Greek mythology's violence, we can probably tackle its other nuance too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely a very good point about all of this as well. And just like what gets left in and what gets left out and who does that hurt in the process? I will give him credit that technically Annabeth outsmarted Perse- outsmarted Cersei and Percy didn't outsmart <laughs> Cersei. He definitely has that over Homer because that's a lot more accurate. Yep. Percy was just hoping for the best with that. <laughs> Percy was just squeaking. <laughs> Literally. Picturing his life in a schoolroom classroom or classroom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Though it would have been a really interesting choice to see because obviously like we know like later on Ambeth gets the offer of joining the hunters but Cersei also offers for Ambeth to stay and become a sorceress so like that would have been kind of cool to see honestly like obviously like if Ambeth just like abandoned him half-blood I don't see this part of her character but just seeing her become a sorceress under Cersei would have been pretty incredible yes it would have been I would have taken that offer (laughs) that Rick really misses out on a lot of his source work characters because like Annabeth she could have been mentored by Cersei and had weird cool magical powers Hazel she could have been mentored by Medea right Medea is the one who offers it was Hecate Hecate and Passivay Okay, yes. Hecate and Pacifae. I don't know why. I don't even think Medea's in Greek. Oh, whatever. But um, she's Medea in the- is with Piper. Yeah, yeah, Lost Hero. Okay, okay. 
But like, yeah. So the the he does like match these sorcerers up with the hero the heroes, but I don't think they go as far as they could. You know what I mean? Like it, it's like, oh, you're now the mentor, and then it's like the next chapter. Okay, I have all these skills now because a day ago I met this person, and it's like, wait, what? You had one conversation. But why? How is this? It's really interesting that you a conversation I does think... not a mentor make. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you bring that up and how he does match them up because you have Annabeth gets the offer from Cersei, Hazel gets the offer from two different powerful witches, Piper gets the offer from from Medea. So you have like the female characters get offers for these opportunities to explore power in a way that is different from combat. And that is seen as a bad thing. It's offered by women who are villains mm-hmm. and they have to say no to this opportunity to gain power in a new way and just stick with the fighting, which is probably because they're like a more masculine way to fight battles, to physically fight battles than to do it through sorcery or magic or anything else. That's such a yeah. good point. Like magic is cheating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's it's something that, that the bad guys use, so we can't use it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of these young women have an example of an adult woman with power. Mm-hmm. They're all villains. What were you saying, Lauren? Oh, no, I was going to say, this is very far away, but Rick, I mean, does, because uh, you were talking about um, how it's sort of like, you have one conversation and then you have magic. Like, Rick does that with a lot of things. Um, I mean, Percy went from not knowing how to sword fight to being the best in 300 years ever seen at camp. Um, uh, Tyson doesn't know how to make anything. And then by the end of the book has made a beautiful watch thing, shield. That's the word I was looking for. And like, so it's not just with magic. I think that's just Rick just like, how can I make this very long time small? Um, But yeah, it is very interesting how they do that with magic. Um, I I think that's across a lot of things um, where it's like, you don't know anything, and then two seconds later, you know everything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's somewhat a function of the media. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have 300 pages to tell a story, so. Um, I thought it was so interesting when Percy was like, re- he realizes that something's wrong, and he goes, wait a second, there are no other guys in here. And it took him such a long time to realize that. And I think it's a good example of, like, when a marginalized person walks into a room, they immediately clock whether or not they are alone. Like, I would never take 10 minutes to realize I was the only woman in a room. I don't think any person of color would take 10 minutes to realize that they were the only person of color in a room. And I think he accidentally did, like, a really good job of explaining privilege in this chapter. Of, like, (laughs) if Annabeth had walked into a room full of guys and we were looking at her perspective, she would be like am I safe? Is there a way to get out of this room? What are their intentions? And Percy was just straight up chilling. Mm-hmm. And it took him being turned into a guinea pig to realize that something was wrong. Yeah, Don't we start no, that, That's a really interesting point. Annabeth, goes, Annabeth and Jason go to Ithaca in one of the Lost Hero books, or whatever, one of those books. Yeah. <laughs> it's in Mark of Athena. Yeah, it's in Mark of Athena, I believe. Um, yeah, they're pre- they're pretending to be um, serving girls, Annabeth uh, and Piper. Blood are, I of believe. Olympus. Blood of yes, you're right. Yeah, because it's after they're all yes. back together. Okay. Um, but yeah, Quinn, you're right too. Like Annabeth has that moment of just being like, I 
get to be a serving girl to all these creepy men while Jason gets to be a former king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, sh- and like, yeah, her and Piper immediately clock their situation because you have to. Like, never have I gotten an elevator with a strange man because I always know 20 feet ahead, like, who's doing what, when, where. Mm -hmm. Because you have to protect Mm -hmm. yourself. So it's just interesting. Because Percy was not thinking that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, do we want to talk about Cersei helping young women? But I feel like we we talked about that. Um, Just that um, the women in, in the spa that work at the spa have all experienced hardship and are basically rescued by Cersei living on her island feel like we talked about that so ignore mm-hmm. this <laughs> yeah i well i i will say we do get evidence that she was a good mentor at that because we have reyna and hilla like we get them later on and they're both amazing they both go on to be incredible leaders um and they're both like very fond of their life with cersei too so i think it is interesting that she was a villain, but when you actually speak to the people who knew her for more than five minutes and were mentored by her, like, she had a very positive impact on her life. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, because I, really I think cool even that she in... Was, she's a pretty dual character. But I think even mm-hmm. in um, the later books, when uh, Reyna and... Is it Hilla is her name? I always forget how it's actually pronounced. Hila? Yeah, Hila. sounds um, right. Uh, when they actually talk about it, they talk more about how, like, the experience of, like, they had to harden up when the pirates got there and, like, Percy ruined their lives. They don't really talk about, like, the, you know, she took us in after our abusive father, like, either died or something. I can't remember what actually happened. I remember just blazing through that part of the book. Um, But, like, they just sort of don't even talk about how, like... Uh, Cersei was a positive impact on them and that's on Rick I feel like because he didn't think about how this strong woman impacted them and how they in turn have impacted others because of that positive influence in their life I mean uh, Hiller Hila is now the leader of the Amazons in a very powerful position among females around her as a um positive woman who is impacting others and that is because of this positive female experience uh figure in her life but rick doesn't give cersei that credit mm-hmm. yeah i love that point that cersei almost has like granddaughters of mentorship because both reyna and hilla go on to do such amazing things like she's literally changed so many lives and rick's like really weird that she would turn pirates into guinea pigs though <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm noticing that the more I'm, we talk I'm about really this, interesting idea. to see how they'll handle her in the TV show. Mm, yeah. I I don't think they're going to change that much, unfortunately. Um, like, I just don't see them having yeah. enough of a reason to, and I don't know what they could change it into, because I I think that you need her to be a villain as part of Percy's story. Mm-hmm. Which is the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a really compelling part of the story. So, uh, yeah, I don't expect them to change anything. But mm-hmm. it'd be interesting if they did. I do hope they change some, like, dialogue things. 
Like, I I don't like when Annabeth comes back in and Percy's like, obviously she looks really pretty, but she's not her with makeup. Um, and it's very much that, like, male thing of being like, well, I like you better without makeup. And I know that the only reason you're doing that is for my approval. <laughs> so here's my permission to stop. <laughs> or when... Um, when Cersei's like, you need female mentorship, and Annabeth's like, well, <laughs> Amelia Earhart, so obviously not. Like, why? Why, Rick? Why did you have her name three women who were successful to prove that she didn't need female mentorship? And notice she didn't name what? one woman at camp. Mm. And no, also, exactly, Amelia Earhart disappeared into the sea of monsters. Presumably, oh. she might have even become like Cersei's, like like a like whatever, a handmaiden of Cersei, whatever. I mean, they did say that there were planes outside of the spiders. Brilliant. Yeah, no, how cool is Vince? Like, yeah. So, speaking of Amelia Earhart, Amber, that plane you passed by when you came in—that's her. She's just down the hall. <laughs> She liked me yeah, better. Yeah. And then, like, Annabeth's like, yeah. oh my god, Annabeth needs to rethink my heroes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, like, the more we're talking about She's this... She's gonna be like, oh my god. Yeah. I'm just realizing how, um, with the way these books are written, is like, at least, um, like, the original five Percy Jackson Olympians books, like, aside from Percy's relationship with Sally, are there any, like, good female mentors for any of the characters? If you, like, exclude the gods, because obviously they have, like, double-sided motives and everything, so I don't think you could really consider them as, like, good mentors. Um, Even with yeah. Sally, I have issues with the way she's, like, a cool girl, and that's why she's good. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's totally fine that Poseidon and I had a one-night stand, and now I have to marry an abuser in order to keep my child safe. That's chill. Like, I'll just make you some blue cookies. Like, we're good. <laughs> Yeah, like that's not realistic, Rick. Why is that the only version of a woman that could be acceptable? Yeah, to you? yeah, but it's like every other mentor is, or every other person in leadership is a guy, you know. And then, yeah. like, and like what we were saying earlier say, about yeah. how like how they were offered mentorship and they were told, "Oh no, you can't have it." Maybe mm-hmm. Hestia. Yeah, would Hestia be considered a mentor? I mean, she's more of moral Tineco. compass. Occasionally. Yeah. 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 But it's not like and anybody like then, then models. She still their life is after. not powerful. Yeah. Well, I guess no. Per- Percy does turn down the her- power of being a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still frustrating that that's the only thing we're allowed to learn from women is to refuse power. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Hestia, he also chooses to go with the narrative that Hestia stepped down from the Olympians so that Dionysus could come into that court and, like, for them to have balance. Mm-hmm. When that's not always how it's told. Like, he's choosing to look at the most subdued version of Hestia and be like, oh my god, look at this great woman. Look how she, like, submits Percy. I think that's... That's an acceptable form of female mentorship. I think that's also a bit of, like, Rick introduced Dionysus first. So you had to make Dionysus not as bad as, like, he could have been. And I think that the way that Rick used Hestia, she had to have that mentality of, like, keeping the peace with the family and stepping down, which is, like, not the right mentality you want in that moment. But based off how Rick used her, it would not have fit Percy's story, Um, which is really unfortunate because he could have gone in a totally different direction and given us a really cool story about uh, Hestia who 
tried to stand up for herself and was shoved down and Percy who feels that same way by the gods because they keep using him and using him. But instead we get, let's sit by the fire and I'll make you marshmallows. Like <laughs> it's a very different yeah, story. Literally. Mm-hmm. Or even if Cersei had a positive impact earlier and then we would have been able to get both from women and not just the like step back side of things. That would have been, I feel like, better written as well. But that's that is not what we received. No. <laughs> so take it away, Megan. Yes, I'm actually so excited. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very, very excited to be here. I really am. So here's a summary for the greatest novel ever written. Cersei is the eldest child of her four siblings that come from the union of Helios and Percy. However, Cersei is the least favorite because despite being a goddess, she is born with a human voice and also being a daughter. After a tumultuous few centuries in her father's palace, Cersei discovers that she is a witch. She transforms the mortal man that she has fallen for into a god, and then the nymph that he falls for into the monster Scylla. Yeah, we learned that in Ovid's version of the events, and Scylla was then transformed into a monster. Yeah, because funness. I like that. <laughs> Loved monsters. <laughs> Right, so this catches the attention of the Olympians. They don't want a titan having this kind of power, and so they banish Cersei to Aiaia. Cersei lives on the island for, well, eternity, and she takes Hermes as a lover, helps deliver the Minotaur, has a brief love affair with Daedalus, tries to keep the witch Medea on the straight and narrow, and of course, hosts Odysseus. On a somber note, Cersei develops the skill of turning men to pigs after she is assaulted by a wayward group of sailors that ask her to host them and then attack her when they discover that Cersei lives alone. So obviously in, in this myth, it, one of the large themes is that things that happen to women happen to women at every level, even if you're a goddess. So Cersei is still a nymph and a woman and a goddess, making her vulnerable. Cersei actually has a child with Odysseus, who eventually wants to meet his father. Unfortunately, the boy, who's named Telegonus, meets a very different version of Odysseus than he was expecting. He ends up accidentally killing his father. After this, he brings his half-brother Telemachus and Odysseus's former, well, now widow Penelope, back to Aiaia, where Cersei hosts them and protects them from the raucous citizens of their former kingdom. Eventually, Cersei falls in love with Telemachus, who is almost her stepson, and we can talk about how strange that is later. She gives up her immortality to be mortal with him, passing off the title of Witch of Aiaia to Penelope, who she becomes friends with. So that's a lot. Yeah. What are our initial thoughts? I do love this moment for Penelope, just because when you think about like what she went through while Odysseus was away, because they talk about how like she had to like fight off all these suitors all the time and go through that whole experience. Like, hey, your husband's away, so we get to do whatever we want with you. Uh, but like she was able to stand her ground, like protect herself and pre- protect her child, and like make sure no one tried to murder him, so they could take over while Odysseus was gone. And now she gets to this opportunity to take over the island. And become more powerful in her own right, like separate from 
her husband and everything. Like she just gets to be a, a cool baddie. Um, so I love that for her. <laughs> I love Penelope's arc. Me too, me too. I am a different route. I feel bad for Penelope. Um, Cause like in the original novel, in the original uh, Odyssey, she is just like a theme of Odysseus's wants to go home and sleep on his bed that he so lovingly crafted for himself and his wife. <laughs> like she is just there Love to motivate bed. him. And now for this, for Cersei, it sort of just feels like she's just there to bring Telemachus. Like, I just, I kind of feel like she doesn't get a person, but the novel's not called Penelope, it's called Cersei, so it works out. Yeah, that is an interesting critique. Like, she's very much a passive figure. I do love, um, I, re- I believe it was the novel A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes, another feminist retelling. Um, I do have my own issues with the interpretations of certain women in that novel, like namely Aphrodite and Athena, but that's not what we're here to talk about. But she gives Penelope a lot of autonomy, and she has her write these like really scathing letters to Odysseus, and they're super sarcastic. And they're like, oh, husband, like I can tell how badly you want to get back to me like too bad you had to spend seven years with that um (laughs) calypso like oh what a tragedy um and i i love that kind of autonomy so i i wish we did see more of her because she's very buttoned up in cersei she's very like formal about her grief of her husband even though you can tell she was like super angry with him um but it's all beneath the surface so it would have been kind of cool for her to be like a little more set free and been like yeah fuck him like he he should have came home after troy he spent another decade just going around wherever he wanted to with all these nymphs i'm gonna marry there his son now a, <laughs> there is a tally <laughs> there is a telling of penelope's story um by margaret atwood i have not read it it's been on my to read list for a while it's called the penelope ad um like Iliad. clever um cute uh but it's basically uh her story or it's her side of the story of the same like time frame of the um odyssey and penelope i'm like on the wikipedia page right now but like it's like the narrative like (laughs) outline is penelope is like in hades and he's looking or she's looking back at her life and telling her life story and basically dishing all the dirt on Odysseus. <laughs> so if you want a story on Penelope's, we love uh, that for her Penelope's section or yeah, what, what was I? Saying? I don't even know. Penelope's, I don't know. Way of life. Perspective. <laughs> Perspective. <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> um yeah, it does Get sound like she, she has a lot of hate towards uh, um, Helen. So there is some still some woman-on-woman hate um, going on in Margaret still some Atwood's work. But, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite through lines in the novel is the way that Cersei loses her naivety about the world. And she she starts out really believing everything that's told to her so she very much is like she's kind of hates her mom like she has a lot of internalized stuff towards her but she like loves her father even though he treats her so poorly then she just trusts glaucus and then she just trusts hermes 
and over time she she sort of has like this shifting narrative of like realizing that so many of the men in her life are like out to get her in some form and many of the goddesses as well like Athena for example but she also starts to understand why some of the women that she's bumped up against have been difficult in her life like why Pasiphae and Scylla have behaved the way they have like they've been bumping up against the patriarchy as well and I, I really really enjoy that um arc for her I think it's so interesting because you wouldn't you would kind of assume that an immortal who basically is born fully grown just basically almost there um would also have all this knowledge so I really liked how um she had so much to learn about the world The Monstrous Woman podcast is co-hosted by Quinn Albert and Megan Peterson. Produced and edited by Megan Peterson. And our social media is run by Quinn Albert. Follow us on Instagram at The Monstrous Woman Pod. We will link all our socials, our Patreon, and our Redbubble store below if you would like to see more from us. Cover art by Tyler Peterson. We are distributed by Anchor. Thank you for listening.